0: Actually, you know what? Let's not get too comfortable. Why don't we stand up and go and say hello to somebody you've not said hello to yet or ever before? Because normally our first Sunday is name tag Sunday. And so in lieu of that, let's go and say hello to somebody. Introduce yourself. Wonderful. If this is your first time, I didn't, I didn't mention before. We've got these cards in the seat pocket, right in front of you, and you can fill those out. And it's got all sorts of uh, different uh, boxes to tick on the back there that uh, may help you uh, answer some questions for you. And if you send that to take that to the connect desk, which is in the, in the foyer, then they'll give you a wonderful gift bag and answer any more questions that you might have. Um, and that would be uh, that would be great. You know, we all have uh, significant years, I think. We have years where when we look back, we go, okay, this was, if I think about a year, that was significant. For me, one of my significant years was uh, 1989. Would any of you like to uh, hazard a guess why? Actually, it was the year I was born, Brad, but whatever. And she was the year I finished uh, high school for the first time. Um, it's a bit of a different system in Britain. Uh, 1993 is a significant year in my mind because that was a year that Sarah and I got married. Uh, 93, that's an important year. 1973 was the year that I was born. And these are pivotal years. These are years that I'm not going to forget, uh, especially the year of my anniversary. You never forget that year. That's that's really important. And, and I'm sure you've got pivotal years as well, the years that you go, that year was a really important year because of, and then fill in the blanks, so I think about all the years that my children were, uh, were born, or 2003 was the year that Sarah and I emigrated to uh, Canada, uh, 2008 um, was the year that we moved to Kelowna, and then 2011 was the year that I started pastoring at the South. These are all significant years. What is your significant year? And I, and I wonder whether, as we think about 2019, whether we could say 2019 is going to be a significant pivotal year. Not just a year where things improve, because let's be honest, when it comes to New Year resolutions, they don't always work. Now, I don't want to be the one that kind of deflates everybody's heartfelt, self-determined self-will. That's wonderful. You go for it. It's, it's great. And I know uh, our good friend, Dan, who owns a gym in town. I don't know if he's here today, but he loves this time of year. This is a great time of year. Uh, and then, you know, by the time you get into March, it's like, oh, well, you know, it gets a little bit tougher because we use these excuse, well, it's sunny outside. Yeah, because when it's sunny, we don't put weight on. That's, that's how it works, right? Um, so I'm not talking about resolutions. What I'm talking about is not just a change, but a complete transformation. How do we make 2019 a pivotal year where there's complete life change and transformation, not just improvement? So the Bible, when the Bible talks about uh, about uh, success, it, it uses this word "prosper," and it says that I pray that that, all, that you would prosper in all ways, just as your soul would prosper. This word "prosper" is a good blessing. It's a, it's a good Bible word that unfortunately has been hijacked by a certain group of, uh, of people called the so-called prosperity gospel preachers. That's not what it's about. It's not just about money. It's about thriving in every area. How do we make 2019 a time where we thrive, where we prosper, where we're a success? A number of years ago, I read a book about success. It was one of those leadership books. And I remember writing in my journal, and I memorized this statement. And I I can't for the life of me remember where it was. So if you recognize this statement, I'd love to know where it was that I got it, because it is not mine. I'm not going to claim it. Success is the continual realization of a worthy ideal. Success is a continual realization of a worthy ideal. What that means is this, is that we can have goals, we can have dreams, we can have ideals, and they're great. But the true success, the true prosperity, if you like, the thriving really comes in how we get there. What kind of people are we going to be like? What are our values? What decisions are we going to make that actually align ourselves with our goal? And it's important because success is not a dirty word when it comes to church. It's a good word. It's a a gospel word. Prosperity is a good word. God wants to bless us. Not financially necessarily. I'm not going down that line. I'm talking in all areas. And sometimes that blessing comes in financial hardship. Um, So this, this idea of continually realizing the blessing of God. This series, This Is Us, is about examining who it is that we are. What is it that that as we go on this journey towards the vision and our vision as a church is to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So if you're here for the first time and you're on a a journey and you're you're kind of thinking through Christianity mixed in with a lot of other thoughts and beliefs, this morning is a great time for you to come because what you're going to hear is really a declaration of who we are, our bedrock, what we we really believe and then over the next four weeks we're going to examine this is who we are, this is us, this is our value system, we have a a vision to see lives transformed, our methodology if you like is that real life, R-E-A-L, the redeemed life, the empowered life, the active life, the listening life, that's our methodology, that's how we want to see the, the, uh, the, the vision come about but what kind of people are we going to be as we aim for that? that's what this series is about it's a great place to start so where do we start when it comes to who we are we have to start with the absolute foundation the ultimate importance the gospel the the why we believe what we believe and i want in in that mind i want us to focus on a particular verse and it's and it's from first uh, peter peter was a uh, an apostle he was certainly a character you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then move into Acts, you're going to see Peter's name a lot. And, uh, and you can see if you read those Gospels enough, those were the people, and they were all written within a time frame, of uh, a very short time frame after Jesus died. So you're talking the maximum amount of time was about 60 years. So these people were able to remember exactly what was said, and you can see commonalities between the Gospels. Peter was a, was a character. He was impulsive. He was, uh, he was a guy that, uh, that certainly thought he... He knew the way things should be and he wasn't afraid of saying it. And he was a speak first, apologize later. There's a lot of things that I relate to when it comes to Peter. I think he was probably also the one that uh, was a bit of a joker and, and, and maybe other people made fun of him because I don't think you can be that kind of character without attracting that kind of fun. And by the way, this is why I love the Gospels. So many people have come to Christianity and believing in Jesus just by reading the Gospels. And the reason is this, what you'll see is Jesus being fully human in the Gospels. Please get out of your mind, if you're just thinking through who this Jesus person was, get out of your mind somebody who had this kind of ethereal glow around him all the time. Like straight out of the elf world in Lord of the Rings kind of. That's not what it was like. If you actually look, you'll see that Jesus was a construction worker. He swung a hammer for a living. And, And he was, as we maybe say in Britain, he was a bloke's bloke. I like that about Jesus. I like that he was a guy's guy. And you get a group of guys together around a campfire at night, Peter included. There's going to be some joking. There's going to be some messing around. There's going to be some kind of, you know, they weren't all there just sat there like this all the time. Uh, Angels, halos. That's not the way it worked. They were guys together. Peter went through a massive transformation. And that's why I like Peter's writing, because here's a guy who has experienced a life before and a radical change through Jesus Christ into a transformed life. Remember our vision, to see lives transformed. Peter was transformed. And here's what he says right at the beginning of his uh, his writing. By the way, if you want to see what the life of Jesus was like through the eyes of Peter, you need to read Mark. Mark was Peter's scribe. It was a bit of a a toss-up whether or not to call it Peter, the book, Mark. Because it's just Mark actually writing Peter's thoughts and reflections and memories. So Peter said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a good place to start. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this verse is tied up three things that really declare who we are. Three things. And we're going to look at these three things this morning. And, and in those three things, we're going to be able to say this is who we are. This is us. The first one is this. This is us. New birth. This is us. We are people of the new birth. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. When you say to somebody that you're a born-again Christian, you're going to get a number of different reactions. Some people who like to read the news may immediately assume that you have a certain political uh, orientation. It's not necessarily a positive term anymore, and unfortunately, neither is evangelical. And you could get into great debate about how wrong that is. It just is. And, and, you know, because of the way things have certainly last two or three years, the way culture has shifted when it comes to looking at Christianity. I love the word Christian. I love the word Jesus follower because that's the essence of who we are. Right at the beginning, we were called, Christians were called the way. I like that too. That's, uh, that's a good term. But born again has a lot of, uh, a lot of baggage now. But the reality is this. Peter is not saying, hey, this is a term that you can call us. He's not using it as a noun, a descriptor. He's saying this. If you are a Christian, so if you're considering Christianity and thinking through Christianity, this is what Christianity is. This is us. We're people of the new birth. New birth. It's a very, very important term. It's a, it's a term that encompasses something that has happened to us at our very core. So what is new birth? New birth essentially is this, a new life, a new thriving, a new spirit, if you like, a new energy, a new identity has been given to us as Christians by uh, the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. We believe as Christians that the Spirit of God has been placed in us. Now, listen carefully. does not mean that we are gods. That is not what I'm saying. It's very important. Different team. What I am saying is, is that we become like God. Peter says this, that we've been given the divine nature, that inside of us, the old has gone, the new has come. We are now a new creation. And it's a beautiful thing. And one of the best theological terms to describe this process is regeneration, which is how it happens. How does this new birth come to us? Well, it comes through this word regeneration regeneration. You'll see this all the way through the New Testament, regeneration. And in the Greek is palingenesia, palingenesia. And if you look carefully at this word palingenesia, you will see the word genesis almost. It's where we get the word genesis. It means new birth. It means birth creation. Something has been pulled together. that's never been seen before. Let's just pause and think about this for a second. Our uh, Sarah, my uh, my car is slowly falling to pieces. We went to the uh, the garage a few a uh, few weeks ago, and he said, "Yeah, it's going to probably cost you about five grand." I don't think the car's worth five grand. Um, so we're going to have to consider what to, we're going to get a new car now. Then, new. Let's just think about that term. Has this car been seen before that we're considering? Yes. I will guarantee you that there will be people who have driven this car on our roads and you probably will, I trust, trust me, you will not give our new car a second glance because there's no, ooh, about, you know, a new car for the Madden family. So it doesn't mean new like that. Actually, the word "new" in the New Testament. So, the old has come; the new has come. Uh, the the old has gone; the new has come. In Second Corinthians five, that word "new" means this. It means this: uh, Genesis, this Genesis, never been seen or considered before. Like never even been thought of before. I've used this illustration before, but if you'd said to me 20 years ago that, that, by you know, in a few years' time, even maybe 10 years ago, that I was going to be able to have the entire uh, information, if you like, of the world in my pocket, that that I would be able to quickly find out any piece of inane rubbish <laughs> trivia that I needed at the touch of a screen, if you tried to explain to me an iPhone when I first started teaching, I would have gone, what you mean like Star Trek? Do you remember the the, the pads that I used to have? Is that what you mean? Like what? I I could not even fathom what that looked like. I remember the dot matrix printers. Do you remember those printers with the holes down the side? And used to carefully try and tear off. Some of you were looking at me like going, you are so old. I didn't even know they had high school in 1989. Like, you tear it off. You remember those? And and so technology has gone so quickly. That's the kind of new I'm talking about. Never been considered before. So let's apply that to our lives. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. This is the promise of Christianity. See, Christianity is not an activity that you add on to your other toolkit of improvements. It's not something you add on to, you know, the way you work out or the way you eat or thinking positive thoughts or anything like that. Christianity is a complete and total genesis happening in your life. Never been seen before. It's a new birth. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it in the message in Psalm 51. This This is such a beautiful statement. Eugene Peterson, who passed away very recently, wrote the... Uh, a version of the Bible that really is a paraphrase not a translation it's a, it's a paraphrase and essentially what it is is that Eugene Peterson and he's an, an immense Greek and Hebrew scholar looked at the Bible and he, he put it in words that, that actually translated well into our modern thinking and he said this God make a fresh start in me shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life I'll have some of that I wonder if that's you this morning. That you just think, man, I I got chaos in my finances. I got chaos in my family. I got chaos in my mental health. I got chaos in my health. You just fill in the blank. You see, this is what regeneration is. Regeneration is a new, never been seen before, Genesis occurrence in your life. Now, it can happen instantly, and there'll be people in the room who go, yep, that's me. The old has gone, the new has come, and it just went, boom, happened. For some of you, a bit like my wife Sarah, it just seemed to be like, if you asked Sarah when she became a Christian, she'd go, I just, I've just loved Jesus my whole life. You know, and she just grew up in it. And we and we need to be careful as Christians that we don't label our own experiences as normative on other people's lives, by the way. You know, just because we said a sinner's prayer and put a hand up in a service doesn't mean say everybody else has to do that. God can work in a myriad. Do you know there are people who are deeply involved in, in, in hardcore Islamic faith who are becoming Christians, they go to sleep. You you, you Google this on your, on the iPad that we can't believe exists. That go to sleep uh, in Islam and wake up with Jesus in their mind wanting to search out about the gospel because of a dream that God has given them at night. You, you go, it's insane. So let's not put God in a box as to how this Genesis week happens. It happens in all sorts of different ways. And as, at the South, what we want to do is we want to be people who say, you know what, however it is that you want to explore and you want to allow and you want to position yourself to hear the voice of God in your life, we're okay with that. We're going to give you room to that, even if it takes you years. Even if it takes you years. Chaos. Chaos is almost an onomatopoeic word, isn't it? it? Sounds chaotic. I like it. It's been a chaotic week for us this week, for Sarah and I and family, on Friday. Um, those of you who've been around a while, you'll remember a few years ago. I know Pete Hannenberg and General remember this well, because Pete was involved in the rescue. Um, the Bennets and the Maddens minus Glenn went, to, uh, went camping at Kell River. And you remember the forest fire? Cal River a few years ago. Sarah and Tracy and the Bennets were right in the middle of that. And I remember getting a call saying, uh, hi, this is from Sarah. Hi, hi, Glenn. Uh, there's a there's a forest fire. There's loads of forest fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, in the campground, we can't get out. Okay. Um, well, I remember Cal River, so we started talking about the bridge and, and they were led through the forest and it was that big rescue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They ended up in Midway, the cosmopolitan Midway on the... Uh, on the border there, and uh, so I've always like the, the the Tracy and Sarah combination has always been a unique one. They're very very good friends, and they went uh, they went skiing on Friday, and I got the call from Tracy. Sarah's had an accident, and uh, and she's on the way to hospital. And it's weird when you these things happen to you, right? These are life forming situations, and there's a long story, trust me. And I'm not going to get into it as to how it happened and what happened but the, the upshot is is Sarah's got a everybody. whenever anybody breaks anything it's always really bad have you noticed that nobody has a really easy break but when I say it's a really bad break I, I'm serious our doctor is in the house and he's seen the x-rays he's like mm-hmm. she's basically got a second elbow right here yeah it's not it's not good and she was in so much pain she was so brave and I arrived at the hospital on Friday and and she was tanked up with all sorts of different drugs and uh, and what's funny, just jumping ahead, I remember going home later on and saying to the kids, okay kids, it's daddy daycare, buckle up. And, and for whatever reason, my kids call me Papa. It's better than what Luke used to call me, which is Father Reverend. <laughs> now, somehow this is jokingly, he called me this like Downton Abbey type thing, and it's stuck. And I could see the, the color draining out of their faces when they realized that over the next six weeks... Daddy's in charge, and uh, and and pizza rules, and chicken nuggets, and and everything else. But we were in the hospital, and, and there's just immediate chaos that situations like this happen. And and Sarah's just drifting in and out, and she's in, she really is in so much she's in so much pain. Please pray for her because we find out tomorrow whether she needs some surgery, and because it was it was it was nasty. And uh, and I was lent up against, like so tired, I was lent up, and I went. Oh, Sarah, and I—I I was being sincere. Don't laugh. I'm serious. I said, um, "I really wish this could have been me." I'm so sorry. And she opened her eyes. She looked at me lovingly, and she went, "I wish this was you as well." <laughs> <laughs> uh, take it back. Um, The—the this, this, thing is this. The doctors, and we have an amazing healthcare system. They are truly brilliant. And um, they'll, they'll fix her up. That's not what God does. See, Sarah has chaos happening in her body. There's definitely chaos happening at home. So came in today and she said, did you tell the boys to empty the dishwasher? And I went, yep. She went, it was all dirty. So they just put away a full dishwasher. full of. A, it's going to be great over the next few weeks, trust me. Um... Don't come to our house for dinner, though, because you might go, Ooh. it's chaos. And this is what I love about God. God does not fix what is broken. He doesn't do that. He regenerates and gives something that has never been seen before. Something that is infused with energy and life and hope and meaning is yours. And if you remember right at the beginning, in the, it says that God, in his mercy, gave us this. It's a free gift to you and I. So whatever the chaos is in your life, and maybe it's it's stuck in, I will guarantee it is in some way stick, stuck in some sin, something you've done wrong in your life, somewhere you've gone astray, some decision you've made, wherever it is that has left you, this shame, this guilt, God will bring a Genesis renewal into your life and radically change you, not improve you, not fix you, but give you newness of life. And it's when I preach like this, I'm thinking that if there's anyone in the room how are they not running over the chairs to get to the front right now to find out how they can get that in their life what is there to consider mm, that doesn't sound good to me does it mean i have to come to church on sundays mm, yeah. like, seriously it is radically life-changing this is us we are people of the new birth and then he says something else he says we are also people of new hope look at the verse. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this word he has given us. This is a gift. New birth into a living hope. A living hope. And I'm going to go quite quickly through this. So this is things that I've preached on before. It's living hope. There's something powerful about hope. Hope determines the decisions and the direction of our lives. Hope determines the decisions and direction of our lives. And, And here's what I mean by this. We really have a lot of things in common. We have desires that we all have in common. And you can look through motivational theory and the leadership, and you'll find something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs talks about how we have all these needs in common. But underneath all that, sociologists would agree that there are some basic needs that we all have. We want to feel secure, we want to feel significance, we want to feel meaning. We want to feel purpose and we want to feel acceptance. That is something that we all have in common. What is different about us all all, is how we go about getting those things. In other words, if I put it under the context of hope, what it is that we are placing our belief and hope in that will bring us these things. What is it that we're hoping will give us significance? And depending on what that is, we will then start making decisions towards that. And therefore, the direction of our life follows it. So regardless of what we might say, the reality is, is the methods that we will put into place to get these will bubble to the surface. So let me give you an example. Look at security. If you, for you, if you gain security in having money or a good career or your own personal fitness and health and you find security in that, then what you're doing, according to this definition, is you are placing hope that these three things will give you security. And you'll make decisions towards that and then the direction of your life follows. And regardless of what you say, these things will bubble to the surface. So I'm a family man and yet I'm working 15 hours a day at my job and never seeing my family. Don't care what you say. Actually, that's not true. Because your real hope is showing and surfacing by what you are doing. Does that make sense? So let's look at significance. If you gain your significance, maybe, and, and trust me, the list goes on. Like you can fill in. These are just things I just thought of in a few minutes. Maybe your significance comes from working hard, gaining a certain position of influence, that it's important for you that you're in charge or you're a leader. If your significance comes from that, you're going to place your hope on whatever it is that you feel brings that. Meaning, maybe your meaning comes from being a great parent. And maybe your significance comes from being a great parent. Maybe your security comes from being a great parent. That it's really important that the children that you're bringing up, that you place all your emphasis, all your hopes, all your significance and security and purpose into those children, then that is what you're pinning your hopes in. It's very simple. And, and actually, when you start thinking through this, this is a great journaling exercise. What do I actually place my hope in? Maybe it's your interests, maybe your activities. Maybe it's just like, I gotta be going and doing this, I have to do that. Purpose. Maybe it's a political stance, making a difference, or a particular social cause. Purpose is an interesting one because purpose also brings pride. Because it's amazing that even though you may be involved very deeply in a social cause, it will bring purpose to your life that we then can get prideful about and judgmental about other people that aren't involved in our social cause. Then you have acceptance. Maybe you seek acceptance through relationships or by just freely giving sex or your own beauty and your own fitness that you're accepted into a certain group. And it's really just high school. <laughs> you never leave high school. I tell my kids this, this. is, You know this is high school, right? And by the way, it's still high school at 45. That there's still this desire to be in that group. I want to be in this group. I want to be in that group. That group's cool. Look at what they're driving well, I'm driving. What am I driving? 5,000... You know, it just carries on. So if we place our hope and our belief in this, then the Bible has some interesting things to say. And I want you to consider this statement and this verse because it's very true and very powerful. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, the writer of Proverbs says. You see... As we chase after these things and they seem to consistently elude us, or we find them and then something else needs to be replacement of it, it just brings sickness to our life. Not maybe physical sickness sometimes, but certainly we just have this sense of more all the time. That there's more to be had. You see, and that is not the way that God designed it. God designed us in a certain way, and when we get regenerated through new birth, we go back to that original design, that this possibility of aligning with the way that we've been created to be actually brings a new hope, a hope that is not contingent on who I am or what I do or what I achieve or how well I perform or how great my family is or how successful my kids are or how great my rubbish car is or whatever it might be. It's not contingent on any of those things. It's a new hope. And our hopes really are important in every aspect of our lives. It's so important that you place your hope in the one who's truly able to fulfill the security and significance and meaning and purpose and acceptance in our lives. The one who will never fail you, regardless of your circumstances, that those things, and you can write a longer list, all those things provided, regardless of what is happening around you, is available to us as a Christian. So this is us. We are people of the new birth, and we are people of new hope, because our hope is anchored in something greater and bigger and more ultimate and beautiful than us. And anything we can achieve on this planet. Sarah and I spend a lot of time uh, counseling and, and marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling. And one of the things that we always talk about is how important it is that we as individuals, man and wife, place our hope in Jesus individually, not in one another. Because when you first get married, it's this person is going to fulfill everything. And then they don't. And this person is my hope. And then they let you down. Or oh, this person is, is, is everything I could possibly want. That's not true. Because there'll be a point when that doesn't happen. Then what? So we pour all our attention in the children. That's our hope. That's what anchors us. Then the children leave. I hope. We hope. That's something I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just saying... Not this year, love. You don't have to go this year. <laughs> you stay as long as you want. But I, I'll tell you this from experience, from experience, and you know this too, the divorce rate in people my age, once their kids leave, is huge. Because now we, where, where do we place hope now? They've gone. And there's an implosion. And then we go and look for somebody else we can place our hope in. Somebody a little bit younger or more better looking or has more money, right? That's that's what happens. So here's the beautiful picture I want to paint. That as you integrate your life in the hope called Jesus, and he fulfills your security and significance and meaning and purpose and accepts you and loves you and, and he's your direction, regardless of the circumstances, as you do that with him, then... Sarah, if you like, does that with her relationship, then those things intertwine. Right? Because we have the same security and we've got anchored in the same thing, and therefore our relationship deepens. And so I do believe marriage can get better and better and better and better and stronger and stronger and more loving and more intimate and more powerful. Because the relationship with Jesus should be continually growing. That's Christianity. It's beautiful. This is us. We are people of the new birth. We are people of new hope. And then finally, new life. New life. If we were to stop at number two and say we're people of the new birth, we're people of um, new hope, praise God. That's wonderful. But then God says something. He says, go. Go. Matthew 28, go. In fact, if you read Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, go into all the world and take this message of new birth and new hope into the world. If you look at the new word, go, it actually says, as you are going, that... As you go about your life, this new life, it's a new way of living. So regardless of where you're at, the circles that you are in, you have been purposely placed. You are not at your school, your workplace, your bus stop, your coffee shop, your street, your neighborhood, your relationships by accident. You've been placed next to that purpose person for a purpose. And it's wonderful. And it's to live out this new life in front of, this new birth, this new hope. But Peter has some interesting things to say about life. In this respect, he he describes Christians as exiles, scattered throughout the provinces. He calls us exiles. So we're purposely placed, scattered exiles. That's a good church name: the purposely placed, scattered exiles church. That's that'll that'll mark it. Um, exiles. It's not exiles of what we think of when we think about exiles now, political exiles. Exiles is more like permanent residency. When you go to another country, you're different. You live in the country. You have a house in the country. You speak the same language. You're part of the community. But you're still strange. You're still different. You're obviously different. It's pretty obvious when I go into a store and I order a coffee that I am. I'm a citizen now. I'm proud of it. But there was a long time when I was a permanent resident that this really wasn't my home. Now as a citizen, it, it very definitely feels like my home. Something spiritually happened, I believe, when Sarah and I became citizens. It was wonderful. But there wasn't a day that g- goes by that I'm reminded that I'm obviously different. And and it's all I have to do is open my mouth and order a coffee. And I'm like, oh. Love your accent. It's very difficult to know how to answer that. Thank you. I've been practicing since birth. <laughs> I don't say that, that's what goes through my mind. It's just thank you and then there's this awkward So how about that coffee? I remember once and uh, I and I have shared this before, but I remember once going into a Starbucks and um I ordered my coffee and the guy behind who was serving me who I later found out was the manager uh, he went oh he said great accent thank you he said uh, he said you you, you sound uh, you sound a lot like Pierce Brosnan I was like thinking Pierce Brosnan's Irish I'm not Irish oh thank you he said uh, have it have a free drink I went thank you in that case, I'll have a triple venti, whatever you know. So I make I make the order, and it was wonderful. But he instant I felt sorry for him because instantly he felt embarrassed that he'd said all that. He obviously just had a brain belch, right? He just said it and then regretted it immediately. He was a pizza. and um, and so we had a long lineup. And so I, I he said the drink up at the end, so I went there and then I heard him say to the next person, "Oh, no, you can have a free drink as well." and then the next person, and then the next person. It was the best day ever. You're welcome for my accent. That doesn't sound anything like Pierce Brosnan, but free drinks on me and my accent. It was great. But it's obviously different. Christian friends, and those who are considering and thinking through Christianity, please understand. Christianity was never given to us. No, let me put it a different way. New birth and new hope were never given to us for it to terminate on me. And Peter makes this really clear. He says to go as exiles and foreigners and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, look, you go as exiles, obviously different, into a world that is in chaos. Take your Genesis week experience, go into the world with your new birth, your new hope, and live as exiles. You're going to be different. People are going to notice, and some of them are going to hate you. And some of them are going to hate you, and they're not going to even know why. You're just going to bug them. However, there's something really beautiful at the end of this verse. Not only... Will they hate you and you'll be offensive to them, but they'll also see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here's how I want to describe this. We are called of people of the new birth with a new hope and we're called to a new life. And this new life calls us to be exiles, obviously different. This obvious difference can be broken down in this way. You need to be attractive towards uh, uh, a people through our good deeds our love and generosity and offensive attractive offensive so here's the test and here's what I want you to think about and here's what I want you to think about when we come to communion are you placing your hope on something else just ask the question the Holy Spirit will tell you are you doing that and are you people who are attractive and offensive because this is the test if you are living out your life and as you are going, like Jesus describes, then this is the test. You will be attractive and offensive. So that can be broken down in three ways, very quickly. Listen to this. You can put yourself in one of these three categories. I'm not going to do it for you, you do it yourself. Are you so attractive that you're loving, you're generous, you're kind? And you're just, it's wonderful and and people like you and, and it's great. But you never mention that you're a Christian. You just hope that your general good deeds, and I've said this before, will just kind of emanate out of you like Christian B.O. Like, they'll just waft over and they'll notice that you're not cussing. And they'll go, man, I need to meet this one called Jesus because that guy doesn't cuss. Because if that's the case, you're not fulfilling a new birth a new hope if you are only offensive if you're only judgmental if you're only finger pointing you're like well I would like that something like this and and you know and you're just you're using the Bible like Bible grenades and you're just causing chaos wherever you are. you are not bringing a Genesis week you are the chaos you are the one that's bringing the tension you're the gossip you're the one that's always miserable do you want to become a Christian like me it's great You know, like, that's offensive. If you are not attractive, you're not fulfilling this scripture. Most people are in the middle. They're neither. Because they don't have Christian friends to be attractive to or be offensive to. We're just cocooned. That maybe you're offensive to other Christians and that's your hobby. Or maybe, you know, you're just just serving the church and we love that and that's great and we love that and we encourage that. But God has called us to do that and go into the world. I am so grateful as a church at the South. I sat this morning, I was praying through this, and um, I realized as a South, we are an attractive, offensive bunch. We really are. We are a seeker-friendly church with an edge. I like that. I like that as a church, when you come here, that people always say they made me feel so welcome. We want you to feel accepted. We want you to feel expected. We, we, you know what? As a church, everybody is welcome. Because Jesus invited everybody to come and hear the word. But when the word came, sometimes it was offensive. We will talk about sin. We will talk about uh, wrath. We will talk about blood. We will talk about all these things. And you're thinking, why are we talking about blood? But we'll talk about all these things. And you might go, man, that's offensive. But we will also talk about the joy and the passion and the love and the purpose and significance that believing in Jesus is all about. But Christian friends, we are in a church. Like I think about the South Art Project and their work with Now Canada. And and it it blows me away. I, I... you tell me about conversations you've had with your neighbors. Neighbors that have come in saying, I'm here because of this person invited me. And, and, you know, the interactions you have, it's beautiful. You're doing great. And I'm very, very blessed to be a pastor of such a offensively attractive church. But 2019, can we amp it up a bit? Can we, can we fulfill these five things that I've said so often? Can we pray that we would... Believe that we're purposely placed. Can we can we seek meaningful friendships? Not cocoon ourselves away from those non Christians. Because well, I, my children, ooh, I don't want them to hear. Let's not be that. Let's not let's let's be meaningful in our friendship, not projects friendships. So we can pray and serve people. So you have an opportunity to share your story about how Jesus has changed your life. And then maybe you have an opportunity to invite them to something that is connected with the South. And as we offensively, attractively go, then I really believe that 2019 will be a pivotal year. We've seen good things happen in the fall. And in, and in a couple of weeks' time, at the beginning of February, we're starting a new series. And it's called Breathe. And the strap line is Overcoming Overload. I'm speaking and, and uh, Dave McLean's going to be speaking. We're going really, to really jump into the chaos of life and what, how has God designed us to be the rest and rhythm and life balance. Is there such a thing as life balance? How do we parent well? How do we do our finances well? How do we bring rest into our life? It's a great series to, for you to invite your friends to because they'll hear about a God who has designed us to live life in rhythm. And, uh, and I'm excited about that. But I want to encourage you this year, as we step into 21 days, let's celebrate the fact that we are people, number one, of new birth. We are people of new hope. And we are people of new life. And we've been called to be attractively offensive. And for some of us, that mean, might mean, <laughs> I don't want to say this indelicately, we might need to get some new friends. Some, some people who need actually to hear this. And uh, I'm believing great things for this church. I really am. I really am. So let's pray. And um, please pray for Sarah tomorrow, especially. That would be wonderful. But right now, I want us to... I want us just to spend a moment or two as we move into worship, just to reflect. And you know what? I think especially... As we come to communion, and I just invite the worship team to, to come on, join. Maybe you want to close your eyes just for a second. Think about that first point. New birth. It's what communion is all about. Paul tells us to remember Remember, essentially remember that you are people of the new birth. That Jesus, if you truly believe that Jesus is your Lord and you have confessed that, then the Bible says that his spirit, his life will transform you. And so communion is an opportunity to say thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose me, you called me to yourself, you wooed me. Thank you, Jesus, for that regeneration, that Genesis week, the Genesis life. And as we worship, let's think about that second point, that we are the people of new hope. Where do you place your hope? Not where do you say you place your hope. Where do you actually place your hope? Father, thank you that you have given us a living hope. One that will never fail regardless of circumstances. And Lord, I pray that that encouragement would fill this room. That those that are experiencing chaos, Lord, would sense that living hope. And press into it. Father, forgive us. We confess, Lord, that it's so easy to replace you. Lord, I pray that 2019 for us as individuals and families and as a church will be a year where we firmly chase and work hard to make you our ultimate. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you have so much faith in the spirit that you have placed in us as Christians, that you call us to go into the world and show and tell and be lovingly truth-filled with people. And Lord, I pray for those who feel the accusations and the offense in their workplaces. Lord, I pray that you would just fill them with encouragement that they have an audience of one. And he said, Blessed are the persecuted. hallelujah we're going to move into our time of communion and the way we do